You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 168, Google I.O., Google Chromebook Data Plans, a little bit more on Retron 5, and a lot more. And it is tech fan number 168. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen, who's not in a car playing Magnum PI, rushing down the highway at high speeds in his Ferrari this week. I should, you know, maybe one time, maybe I should have done that. Maybe we should have done the show with me on the phone, actually on the hands free, driving down the highway. It would sound terrible. (laughs) You know, as you know, uh, I was the. COO of Mac Specialist in Chicago for mm-hmm. roughly three and a half years. Um, I stopped working there in December, and unfortunately, the company actually uh, went out of business this last week. And I was sorry to see that happen because, you know, I, as yeah. you well know, I put a lot of time and effort into that company. I completely rebranded it. Um, well, it was it was growing when you left, it, and and I was sorry to see it close. I really was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I spent a lot of time in my car. And I always wanted to try to do a podcast from the car. But I don't know, it inherently sounds dangerous to me. And, you know, the last thing I would want is to, well, the last thing I'd want is to die doing it. But to get into some horrific crash and have to explain to somebody oh, well, I was actually, you know, podcasting. There's a there's a big debate when people talk about cell phone use and that sort of thing in the car about whether even the act of, even if it's hands-free and you're not, so you're not obviously fid- anybody fiddling with a phone or a, any sort of electronic device that takes their eyes off the road is dangerous. Um, but uh, a lot of pe- a lot of scientists have said that even the very the act of talking on the phone, even on hands free, is so distracting that you shouldn't do it. Um, which I've never quite understood because how is that different from talking to somebody who sat next to you? But the scientists say, well, the person sat next to you can see where you are in the car, see what's happening with the car, and will automatically pause their conversation or adjust their conversation based on what they see in front of them. So if they see a traffic jam up ahead or a junction or something, they they may pause or change the way they're talking to you, whereas somebody on the other end of of a device on a phone call, for instance, has no idea where you are or what you're doing and will just keep talking. That does make Um, sense. Well, it it does make sense, and yet I've never felt out of control while I'm talking to somebody on the hands-free in the car, and I always always use hands-free. In fact, I I pretty much won't buy a car nowadays that doesn't have Bluetooth in it because I use it all the time. So um, Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds of that, David, to be honest. I've had, and I use hands-free as well, I've got an aftermarket Pioneer uh, stereo system in my Honda, but it has Bluetooth, and they installed the uh, the little microphone and all that. Yeah. So it works great with my iPhone. Well, no, it doesn't actually. There's half the time it doesn't doesn't work right at all, and I have to manually switch it over to Bluetooth, even though it's supposed to do it automatically. 
So that's kind of a pain in the butt. But when it does work, I'm of two minds. I've had great conversations in my car, very productive ones. And I didn't feel like I was distracted at all. Mm -hmm. I've also had times where I've talked on the phone and by the time I hung up, an hour has gone by driving and I barely remember it, it just went by so fast. Yeah. Was I distracted while I was driving there or I, I obviously I wasn't that no accidents, no close calls, anything like that. But when it's really bad weather and our bad weather is a little different than your bad weather. Yeah. Um, I won't talk on the phone if it's bad weather because I want a hundred percent of my concentration on the road and the traffic. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the flip side of what I was saying was I, I can actually think of instances when I've had the family in the car and traffic's been difficult, the weather's been bad, or something like that, and I've said, "Everyone, be quiet, let me concentrate." Right. Um, which so which suggests you know, that you're not concentrating as much if you're talking and there's distractions in the car. May, maybe that's true. That I, the, I guess the scary thing is you don't know that you're not. Concentrating. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. We are, absolutely. We are quite used to talking and doing other things at the same time. Um, and well, like this podcast, for instance. Yeah. When we're doing this podcast, this is all we're doing for the hour that we're actually talking. I can't be checking my email. I can't be browsing the internet. And those times that I've done that because I needed to pull up some content. When I've listened to those shows back, you could totally tell I'm doing something else, that I'm yeah. not 100% in that conversation. Mm. You know, I'm not 100% listening to you because I'm checking something else or I'm reading something. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there is actually something to it. But that being said, you know, it was a, it was a three-hour, one-way drive to Chicago for me. And then towards the end there, I was driving there and back the same day, every day. Well, not every day, obviously, but... I wasn't staying in a hotel. So I was getting in, you know, six and a half, seven hours of driving time on a daily basis. And it's kind of wasted time. There's, you can't really do much of anything. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly true with the amount of business travel I do. Um, I've like last week, I was in the car for a week, a week and a half, did a thousand miles last week. Brutal. Which, yeah, which is a lot for the UK because it's not that big a place. Um, that's a lot for anywhere. I mean, a thousand miles. Yeah, a thousand, a thousand miles, miles a week. Yeah, that, exactly. But but that's that's relatively rare. I prefer, and for most, fortunately for most of the work I do, I can travel by train, um, which obviously I prefer to do because you can get more done. You can either you know take a movie or or listen to a podcast or something, or you can get some work done if you need to um and i much prefer to do that if i can i, I feel i'm certainly as i've gotten older i've uh, i find I, I i cope with the travel better if i'm doing it like that even though you have the the tiredness of you know moving to the station and then crossing london and the underground and all that sort of stuff i find it less stressful than, than driving four hours straight yeah because most of the time you're just sitting there and it's this yeah. the brief periods of activity of you know going into the tunnel and switching trains and finding your seat yeah. and the rest yeah, of the exactly. time is just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand that, but I still thought about doing a podcast from the car and I even have the logistics 
down how I would do it. I would get a a, a one directional mic, a, a USB one, that I could easily mount in in the car and take out because obviously you don't want to leave a microphone sitting in your car. That would be fairly close to my face, but not you know in the way of steering or seeing or anything like that. Kind of coming from yeah. the side. Yeah. And then I would simply put my laptop on the seat next to me, start recording in GarageBand, and uh, you know just let it record until the next time I stop the car. Yeah. Or I could simply use an iPad or another iPhone in airplane mode, plug in a good microphone into that and do it that way, and then edit it, obviously, on my laptop later. So I could yep. do it, and I thought, oh, what about you know, like in the car with Tim, or you know, you would obviously hear me occasionally talking about traffic. And you won't believe this guy that just cut me off, and but I don't know. It just seems inherently a bad idea. I I seem to remember I did it once for Tech Fan that I did half an hour or so in the car while I, I was remember. driving somewhere. Yeah, so. Um, I can't remember what I was going or what I talked about. I don't either. And, you know, here's the funny thing. We were talking about right before we started recording. This is the 168th tech fan that we've done. Now, we haven't done every single one together. There's a few that I've done solo or with another person. And the same thing with you. Yeah. But I think that's maybe 20, 25 issues or uh, issues, episodes at the most. The vast majority has been you and I doing this podcast together. And for you... You've been doing, and this came to light during the you know the 500th MyMac episode recently, um, that you've been doing Tech Fan much longer than you ever did the MyMac show. Yes, I, 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 in fact, I was I was amazed looking back to the dates how for how short a time I did MyMac. It was only about six months. It felt like, um, or it felt like in my memory, it was it was much longer than that. Um, well, and you did yeah, contribute this, longer than that because you did yeah. frustration for a while. Yeah, but but I mean, in terms of in terms of my effort and input, obviously when I when I became one of the co-hosts of the show, there was it was it was much bigger. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, I still remember very vividly, you know, how I did it and, and what I was doing and and that sort of thing. And I thought it went on for a lot longer than than it did. Um, and you know, we were both saying at the beginning, big before we start recording as well. This still feels like a new enterprise. To us, it does. It, it absolutely. <laughs> this feels like a new show to us, and yet uh, we've been doing it for, you know, at the end of the summer will be four years. Yeah. And which is crazy. Yeah. Now, at this point, I've still done my Mac longer, but remember, I only did my Mac for five years. Mm. Uh, is that right? Five years. A little less than five years, actually, David, because I stopped doing my Mac. No, I guess it was over five years. I stopped doing my Mac in 2010, and I started the, um, no, I take that back. It was 2009 because I stopped doing my Mac because I started OWC Radio, the first version of that show. Mm. And at the time, it was decided that it really didn't make sense for me to do my Mac and OWC radio. And so I retired from the, my Mac show and guy took over with you. Yeah. And then, uh, when I stopped OWC radio, I didn't go back to my Mac. You and I started this show. Sorry. So I've been doing tech fan 
I'm getting close to as long as I did the MyMac show. And that seems really weird to me. Mm. You know, because I still yeah. technically own that show. It's it's still my show. Yeah. I just don't, you know, I'm not the host of it anymore. Those guys have taken the show in the direction they wanted to. And honestly, I give them no input as far as, you know, what they need to do with the show or anything. It's yeah, their I show. Think, I, I think anybody who listens to it, it's fairly clear. Obviously. Not much, not much input that mm-hmm. goes into <laughs> Well, you have and to. I mean that. You, you, I mean that with love, guys. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But you have to trust yeah. people. Yes, I yeah. still own it, but that doesn't mean it's my show anymore. It's their show, a hundred percent. Yeah. Whatever they want to do with it, they can do with it. And you have to trust people, and you have to learn to let go of something. And I think I've done a fairly good job of that, uh, at yeah, least absolutely. as far as the MyMac show is, because, you know. I still have strong feelings for that show at the time that I did that show. But I started thinking about it. I have just as strong feelings, if not more so now, for Tech Fan. Because this I, is I, our yeah. show. And I think the fact that we kind of haven't noticed, we've been doing it for nearly four years, says something about how much we enjoy doing it. Uh, I'm, I like the fact that it, it still feels fresh. It still feels um, something that we look forward to doing every week. Uh, I mean, we've become quite adept now at shuffling the schedule around so we can fit with each other's timescales uh, when we need to, and that's that's not a bother. And we, we're always happy to do that because when we can because we enjoy doing the show and we don't want to miss doing an episode together when we can. Absolutely. And, of course, I am doing another show at this point in time as well, and that is OWC Radio 2.0. I don't know if you know, David, but I released a brand-new episode yesterday of that show. I've listened to it already. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. <laughs> uh, that was with Harry McCracken. He's, uh, we've had, I believe we had him on the t- on uh, Tech Fan at one point. We did, yeah. And um, he's, a, a, I mean, I really enjoyed that OWC radio you did with him because he's um, he's a very interesting guy. He's very knowledgeable. He's worked in the industry a long time. He's a real a real journalist. Absolutely, he is. <laughs> you no, know, I mean he's classically trained journalist. Used to edit PC World, uh, and um, yeah, he's he knows his stuff. And I and I love reading his site. I read it every day. So I like um, the Technologizer a lot. That's why yeah. I wanted to have him on that show. Um, you know, on that episode. I asked him towards the end of it, what's the oldest piece of technology that he's kind of still into? And I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't listened to it, and I'm not going to give uh, give it away here because if, if you're not listening to that show, please do so. Go to uh, iTunes and do a search for OWC Radio. You'll find two. You'll find the old one and the new one. Please subscribe to the new one because if you subscribe to the old one, you're not going to get any episodes. Or you can go to blog.maxsales.com and uh, find and listen to it there as well. But were you surprised on the old piece of technology that he uh, he's still into and that he found a passion for again? I was, yeah. I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Uh-oh. It is, and- oh, excuse me. Oh. I'm being disgusting now. That's... Uh- That's a certain percentage of our audience we just lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you going to do, though? Um, you know, I've been a soda drinker for a long time because of the caffeine. I just switched over to diet. And I think it's, you know, it's healthier. (laughs) I'm not saying it's good for you, but there's no sugar in it. So that's one thing. Yeah. But I'm still getting the the caffeine intake. That's right. I I haven't drunk um, sugared soda for many, many years now. 
not since I was a kid, really. Really? So, uh, so I'm very used to to diet soda. But I, I also, I mean, you still read things saying that, oh, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even drink a lot of diet soda. You should just drink water or something else. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I, does that mean the other stuff in soda is no good for you either? I'm sure the acidic acids and stuff like that. That's it's not good it, for you, but well, they worried that it's, that it's like a it's a it's a gateway drug to uh, sugary soda. <laughs> well, for me, I'm trying to go the opposite direction. The problem yeah. is the diet soda gives it makes me a little more gassy. Yeah, but uh, only from well, one direction, and thankfully that's the northern direction, not the southern direction. Yeah. Gassy, so that's when a good we, thing. Yeah, well, when we were growing up, I mean, diet soda was pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it was flavored with saccharin. Saccharin has that kind of bitter aftertaste to it it really wasn't very good for you at all and drinking large amounts of saccharin was <laughs> ultimately found that to be not so great either um it's much better now in the, the flavorings they have now and uh, i suppose that's the other thing i mean the, they use something to make it taste sweet even if it's not sugar so you're drinking a lot of that i am and uh i'm trying to adjust Although occasionally I'll forget, and I'm, it's only been a week for me. Well, uh, you'll find, you'll find after a while that you won't forget because if you ever inadvertently drink what full fat soda is, what my wife and I always call it, you know, not diet, it's full fat soda. If you after after you get used to the taste of the diet soda, if you ever drink sugared soda, it's like it's so cloyingly sweet you can't stand it. Hmm. I look forward <laughs> to that then. Yeah. And I, I've been uh, trying to get used to coffee, too. I've never been a coffee drinker. And uh, my wife, obviously, she is very much a coffee drinker. And I'm trying to get used to that, too. Um, but I, I, I can't drink just straight coffee yet. It's just too bitter for me. Just I don't like the aftertaste. And I know a lot of people are into coffee, and I, I want to be. Yeah, you. It's again, it's something you acquire. It's, it's like a couple of weeks ago, we were sat in a restaurant and uh, I was drinking a, a, be- a beer and my son was kind of looking at it. I said, well, you want to try it? You want to try a sip? So I gave him a sip and you... And I remember this as a kid as well. The first time you ever drink beer, you go, "Ugh, that's disgusting. Why would anybody ever want to drink that? But you kind of acquire a taste for it as you get older. Yep. And coffee's, coffee's kind of the same. You, you, do, you do get over the the bitterness of it uh, and then you come to quite enjoy it. I drink an insane amount of coffee particularly when I'm at work but one of the things I like about where we are today is that you can get very, a very very good cup of coffee using uh, technology like these capsule systems and everything that's, that's far better than anything you could unless you're a, a professional barista you could brew yourself right? Uh, and yet it's very convenient it's very easy and in the grand scheme of things, it's not hugely expensive. I know that people say, "Oh, if you buy ground coffee and do it in a in a, in a French press or something like that, it's much cheaper than using an espresso machine or a capsule machine." But a, a, you know, for for what you're paying for a capsule, it's about I I I guess it must be the same in the states, around about fifty sixty cents for a capsule of coffee. Which is cheaper and than going to the gas station and picking which one up. It, which is, yeah, that, that's that's the comparison I use. It's, it's much, much cheaper than going out to a coffee shop and buying it. So, yes, you could buy it by the pound and do it all yourself. But, you know, it's, it's a very convenient way of getting a, a pretty good cup of coffee. So we've talked about driving and <laughs> coffee. And <laughs> 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 it's not, not a whole lot of tech things so far. Although I will say the hands-free is... Definitely uh, technology related. Yeah. So, excuse me for a minute. 
that's a little bit of my cold still hanging on there. So moving a little bit more into the tech way, um, last week I talked about uh, purchasing a, well, I didn't purchase it, but I got a Retron 5. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd only played it for about an hour at that point. And at this point, I've probably got maybe 10 hours into it at the most. And I have to say, David, I'm still very impressed with it. Um, it it just works for the most part. And if you remember right, I did say there was one game that I couldn't get reading. It turned out that it was just a, uh, or maybe I didn't say that on the podcast, but there was one SNES game that just it wouldn't read it. And I thought it, it should because it was uh, Miss Pac-Man. I mean, doesn't get yeah. any more. It's not like it was some weird game. Turns out yeah. my cartridge was just dirty. I cleaned it and it works fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a problem with this system though. The pin connector in this thing are so tight that on for all of them for NES, Super NES, and uh, the Genesis. I don't know about the Game Boy because I don't have any Game Boy games to try in it yet. They are so tight that I feel like I'm going to rip it apart every time I need to pull up a cartridge out. Um, and you, and you, you uh, let, let me get this clear. You, you mentioned that you put the cartridge in and it rips it to memory. You have to keep putting the cartridge in every time you want to play that game. You can't yes. just put it in once. No. So, no. so I won. I find myself wondering whether that's whether that will relax over time. And the the reason they made them tight is to try and make sure that they last. I'm, I I you know kind of I mean? think you're right, and yeah. my understanding is it will loosen up over time. But where you now you've seen pictures of my gaming system, yeah. I've got uh, you know a big 30, uh, 39 inch TV. I think I forget now, uh, kind of in the middle, and then I've got shelves on the side that I got from IKEA that's mounted right to the wall. These big black shelves, and then underneath it, these kind of floating shelves. Um, one, two, there's four shelves underneath it, right? Yeah. Well, I've got the Retron 5 on the bottom shelf, but on the shelf right above it is my Xbox 360. Now, I picked up a couple games yesterday for nine bucks for three games. I got two Genesis games, and I got a Xbox 360 game that I actually have on the PS3. I've beat the game before, but I really, really like it. I want to play it again. But my PS3 is in the mm-hmm. living room, and I don't get to play games in the living room often because someone's usually watching TV. Thus, I have you know the whole video game set up in my office where I'm doing the podcast as well. And the game is called uh, The Saboteur. It's from 2009. It's a fantastic game. Basically, you're... Um, uh, I, think he's, I think he's Irish. An Irish race car driver that's in France during the invasion from Germany. And there's a little bit of racing in it, but it's more like a a Grand Theft Auto type of open world game. And your job is basically to uh, sneak up on Germans and kill them. Well, Nazis, let's not say Germans. I mean, we have German Mm -hmm. listeners. Yeah. Um, It's a fantastic game. I just love it. Uh, I love all, there's thousands of little bitty side missions that you could start at any time. Like if you see um, a, a Nazi propaganda sign, you could go up and blow it up. And that gives you, you know, points or whatever. I don't know. I just love the game. Yeah. So that's one of the games that I picked up to play on the Xbox 360. Now, 
there's a game that I'm going to play often on the Xbox. I'll actually install it. And yeah. installing a game on the Xbox 360, for those who don't know, you still have to put the disc in to play it, very much yeah. like you were talking about with the Retron. Yeah. But it loads everything once you install it from the hard drive. Thus, it's so much faster to play the game. It's it loads yeah, faster. Yeah, basically, it's, it's just it's just very fine that you own the disc to stop. And it's you just, quieter too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the sound of the Xbox, especially the the first generation Xbox, it was so loud when you put a uh, a DVD in there to play. Oh, you just hear that spitting the whole time. Yeah. So, I got this game. I'm installing it on the Xbox 360. I know it's going to take like 15, 20 minutes. In the meantime, I'm going to play the Retron. Well, it had a cartridge in it. I need to take the cartridge out. I had to use so much force that I ended up smashing the shelf above it, which, of course, is installing a game on the Xbox 360, which, of course, means the disc skipped in there Yeah, and uh, messed it up. Uh, at least it messed up the install. I went back and reinstalled, and it's fine. But that's how much force I have to use to pull games out of this Retron 5. I mean, I literally feel like I'm going to break the thing every time I take a game out. I hate that feeling. Yeah. When I look at it now, I think, do I want to take that game out and, and put a new one in or just play that game or not play it at all? That's too yeah. tight. Those pins are too tight. Yeah. So that's, you know, I have tried all the different controllers now from my older systems. They all work fine. Uh, the more I've used the Retron 5's controller, the less I like it. It's a little bit too spongy. Um, it's not very ergonomic. Ergonomic? Ergonomic? Yeah. It doesn't feel good in my hand. So, yeah, I've been using the original controllers for the different systems. And I've got them all already, so that's, there was no extra expense there. So, that's my continuing review of the Retron 5. Still like it. There's a few problems, but for the most part, it's a lot of fun. And it's so much nicer to be able to uh, play any one of those three systems that I've been using it for without having to plug in another system and go through another switch box or anything like that. It's just plugged into the, my HDMI switch box that you know my, my 360 and the Wii is already plugged into. Yeah. So for those reasons, I still like it. I do recommend it. Now, how do you think it would compare to running an emulator on say an ipad and then having a third-party controller well with a third-party controller you're still going to run into not necessarily compatibilities because you can map the keys but those games those older games were built around those controllers huh. it, there's just a uh, a synergy between the two that i've noticed sonic is a good example i've got sonic on the ps3 i've got sonic on uh, the xbox and i'm talking to like sonic and sonic 2 the original yeah. genesis games mm -hmm. and i think i had it on the mac at one point as well so i played it with a, a number of different controllers maybe it's because i grew up with you know well i didn't grow up i was like 21 when that game came out but you know what i mean i when, yeah. the first time I played that game was with the Genesis controller. It just feels more accurate with that original controller running the original hardware than it does this way with an mm -hmm. emulator. 
Now, I know that it's emulating on the uh, Retron 5, but it doesn't, it, it honestly doesn't feel like it's emulation. And I like that. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the least emulation feel than any of the other platforms, especially the iPad. It works okay on the iPad, but it doesn't feel like a native game. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like there's maybe a layer between me and the actual gameplay that I don't experience it on the Genesis. Yeah, I, I know that the Sonic games are recoded for, the I, for iOS, and those recodes are, are generally felt to be uh, much closer to the original. Um, but the, but I guess that that says probably perhaps what you really have to do for for iPads and iPhones is you actually have to redo the games rather than necessarily just uh, just emulate them. I think that's a, a good distinction, and mm. I, I will say though the games on the Retron look so much better than they did natively um, on the Genesis or the SNES and NES. It just, they look fantastic. And it's, yeah, it's upscaling. And there's been a few games that I've noticed that it did kind of weird things too. It didn't look quite right to me. Yeah. But for the most part, everything looks so much better. I mean, it it really does. And uh, I'm enjoying it. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters, right? When you're talking about a game or a game platform. Are you enjoying Absolutely. it? And if you're not yeah. enjoying it, it's a bad review. If you are enjoying it, it could be a good review with a couple of caveats, like very tight pins and not a very good controller. But with that, let's take a quick break, David. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Google I.O. event that just happened and some shenanigans with uh, Google, um, Verizon, and customers. We'll be right back. Hello, people. My name's Peter Bird. And I am the host of the Deep Look podcast. The idea behind the show is that we talk to our guests and we learn more about them, the subjects, the people, the things that shape their lives or the things they're interested in or the things they would possibly want to know more about. Basically, we just like to look a little deeper and see what's there and to learn. If that appeals to you or you like that idea or if even if you have a guest that you think we should try and speak to, then come on by and give us a go. We are part of the Stoplight Network. Hi, I'm Tim Robertson from the Tech Fan Podcast. And I'm David Cohen from the Tech Fan Podcast. And we wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Stoplight Network. Stoplight is a community of podcasters. We're a group of people who are passionate about podcasting, and we're looking for people who have either existing or new podcasts who might be interested in joining us. So check it out at www.stoplightnetwork.com. And while you're at it, check out our show, The Tech Fan Podcast, part of the Stoplight Network of Podcasts. Hey, guy, there's a new podcast out. Great! What's it about? Let's Talk Apple. Well, yeah, we will, we will. But uh, what's the podcast called? Let's Talk Apple. Okay, if you want to. Uh, Rainier, Silken, Gold Rush, Pippin. What are you on about? I'm talking Apple. Huh? That's what you wanted, wasn't it? Us talking about apples? Well, there we go again. Tangentially, as usual, moving off topic. Did you know Bart Bouchotts has a new podcast out? Yep. Let's Talk Apple. Oh, jeez. Back here on Tech Fan Podcast number 168, Tim Robertson, David Cohen. We'd love to get feedback from you guys. If you can go to techfanpodcast.com, 
leave a message there. You can either send us an email from there or comment right there on the podcast itself, the episode. We will read your replies here on the show. And David, we didn't really give a lot of time between the last time we recorded and this episode. We're recording a day early this week, and we were a little late last week, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so we didn't give people enough time to listen to the show and, and reply yet. So we apologize for that. But that being said, we really do want to hear feedback from you guys. It really makes a big difference, whether it's a a positive feedback, just letting us know that you're out there, that you're enjoying the show. Maybe there's something we're doing that you don't like and uh, you want to let us know. We want to hear that as well. Uh, But if you want to share a story with us, maybe you've got a Retron 5 like I was just talking about and you're having a totally different experience. Maybe you've got a Google phone that you absolutely hate. Maybe you have an iPhone and it's not doing what you thought it would do. Maybe you just got to the iPhone coming from the Google world and you're not happy. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to share your stories and thoughts right here on the Tech Fan Podcast. But the only way you can do that is if you actually send us an email. You can send me a direct email to tim at techfanpodcast.com. And David is? I'm david at techfanpodcast.com. And hopefully more people will write in, David. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to hear what they think. What they, I want to hear experiences. You know, I, I love hearing those technology experiences that people have. So yeah. hopefully we'll hear from some people. So David, what is the Google I.O. event? What's going on there? Well, this is their version of the Google version of WWDC. So it's a developer event that talks about everything Google's doing for developers and new platforms and that sort of thing over the next year. Um and first of all, it's very interesting to see how, how this gets reported compared to the Apple stuff. Oh, it's not even know, close. WWDC gets gets more coverage, but also a lot more negative coverage. A lot of people say, oh, what are they doing this for? Why are they doing that? This, is, this isn't very exciting. Whereas the Google one, apparently the main keynote was terrible. So terrible that even people in the audience started having a meta... Um, keynote where they were all tweeting to each other as the thing was going on because all the demos. See, were I didn't hear it. this. Oh yeah, this it was quite hilarious. Apparently, it was just it just got really dull, and then they started doing demos and they just didn't work properly. And so everyone just started tweeting to each other in the call in the hall while the keynote was going on. That's bad. Um, so yeah, they it didn't and they had some problems with protesters. And, yeah, uh, uh, two like well. one about killer robots. <laughs> which, which you well you you clearly remember when steve jobs had uh, uh the demo of the killer robot and so many people <laughs> came up and was hey, i kind of get where that's coming from it did you see those videos i think it's been around like a year they have this robot i think it's called the cheetah or something that runs but it it looks yeah. like a, a headless rhino or something. It's the scariest yeah, it, damn looking thing. It, it, in fact, what it always reminded me of. <clears throat> you remember the um, the Imperial probe droids from Empire Strikes Back? Absolutely. It kind of looks like a bigger one of one of those, but instead of flying, it's walking. No, um, you know what it looked like? It looked like one of those uh, robot Thundercat things from the eighties. One of those cartoons. Right, yeah. yeah, but the thing is, yeah, this thing is kind of scary, and and the company that invented that is now owned by google yeah so that was the uh that was the cause of the uh you you work for a it, it, the guy actually was quite funny he said you work for a mindless corporate entity right you know, designing killer robots and and 
yeah, and he was quickly ushered out the hall. And then there was there was things outside because some people in San Francisco have decided they don't like the the tech. No, industry. that was inside as well. Right. There was somebody okay. that interrupted during the keynote, uh, yeah. and that is basically because of companies like Google, but they're far from the only one. Apple is another one of them. They're drawing in a lot more people to San Francisco to live. And then they're commuting to San Jose and Cupertino and places like that. And it's, for the most part, young professionals who want to live in the downtown area because that's where things happen. And when you're younger, you want to be in a downtown area where there's things to do. Less so when you're David and I's age. <laughs> you want yeah. to move away from the city because it's too damn loud and you want your kids to sleep and you want a little bit of a yard for them to play in. You can't have those kind of things in downtown San Francisco. But remember, this is San Francisco. This is hippie nation. This is homeless nation. This is somewhat affordable ho housing in a downtown area. That was the draw for you know, the, the last half century of San Francisco. But with these young professionals moving in, the landlords were clued in pretty quickly a couple of years ago that, well, I've got this person that's living in this great loft that's paying $1,200 a month but I've got all these professionals that are willing to pay four to $5,000 a month to live in the same space. I should get rid of the people that's living in here now and run it to these people. Now, is that an exaggeration? Absolutely not. And some of the tactics the landlords have used are just downright, if not illegal, deplorable. Yeah. But many but, times illegal. But the point is, is that all of those things are not Google's problem. Those are San, San Francisco. Francisco's problem. And, and that is up to the administration of San Francisco to deal with. And that's why things like rent control and uh, zoning laws and... Uh, occupancy fair, protection. Yeah, occupancy. Exactly. That's, that's what you use to deal with those sorts of things. You don't bite off one of the hands that feeds you. And, and the tech Literally. industry... In the on the, you know in the in the San Francisco area is very important to the economy there. That's what I don't get. You know, they complain about the state of their roads. I heard uh, Owen Rubin, I believe it was on Facebook, complaining about how bad the roads are there and that they're not being fixed. Now this is in Oakland, it's technically mm -hmm. across the bay from San Francisco, but basically the same area. And you know. Do you want good roads? Because if you want good roads, you have to have companies in the area with employees paying taxes. Or do you want cheap housing with less companies, more unemployment, a less of a tax base, but you get those nice crappy roads then? Which one do you want? Because mm. you can't have both. No. So the people that are complaining to Google, it seems asinine to me. They're... they're I mean, they've gone so far as to protest at people's houses, yeah, which is just disgusting. It, it makes yeah. no sense and, to me. They're not going to change anything some, doing it that way. There, there's been some pretty unpleasant scenes as well, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are uh, there. Well, I do believe there are some important fundamental points about the things they are raising. But oh, the problem I agree. is. When you get those sorts of process protests, you also get an element of um, people who are just basically anti-corporate. Yeah, they or are, you know, they're anarchists. Anti 
yeah, they're they're anti globalization, they're anti everything corporate, and they tend to hitch on to those sorts of uh, demonstrations, and then it gets ugly very quickly. It does absolutely. And look, I I I get it from both sides. To be honest, I understand it from the, the people that are getting kicked out of their homes that they've lived in for twenty years because they don't have the protections that they should. I get it, and I think it's terrible what's happening to them. And I would, yeah, but- I would want to demonstrate and fight it too, but you got to pick the right people to demonstrate and fight against. Yeah, they should be demonstrating outside City Hall. Yeah, and I think no. they are too, but they're kind of taking it to another level. And like you said, though, there's some people that's just demonstrating to demonstrate. Yeah. That's- However, I think the way it gets reported does demonstrate really. Google has this difficult reputation now. Yeah. Um, it is. It is not. It is not really well liked by a certain sector of the population, um, and and I think some of the reporting of, of Google I/O this week kind of reflects that. Um, there is some fairly cynical reporting going on about some of these about these non-business issues to do with Google. Yeah, um, you'll see them start talking about you know whatever the the tech thing that's going on with Google. And then the story will dovetail into, you know, a bias against Google as a company. I, I've seen yeah. that myself a number of times. Now, to be fair, I also see that against Microsoft. I also see it against Apple. I also see it against Amazon. So Google's not unique in that. Yeah. But in some respects, it, it almost goes to a different level, anti-Google sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of the fundamentals of what they've announced this week, um, they seem to. My impression, what very much was, they seem to realise they've missed a lot of boats and they're scrambling to catch up. Um, it, it came across to me like they've almost become too distracted by the uh, the speculative, airy fairy stuff. You know, the balloons with Wi-Fi on and the self-driving cars, and there's been an awful lot of talk about that and not enough about taking care of the core of the business yeah um so so we see a a new version of android that's on the way that effectively is is kind of like it's kind of like um putting google back in the driver's seat it's almost like a nexus version of android called the called google l that that will not allow manufacturers to put their own their own uh, skins and apps and things like that onto the Google experience. And it was kind of ironic really, because it's like open for the win. Oh yeah. Hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to a closed ecosystem like everybody else. Um, well, that's the only way you can maintain control and have standards. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad that Google's finally, at least publicly seems to be acknowledging that, that there's a huge problem in the Google ecosystem. There's just way too many people, way too many companies branching it off in so many different directions that it's causing a lot of problems, a lot of misinformation. Well, I, I sent, yeah, I sent you that picture this morning, didn't yeah, I? Yeah. <laughs> so this, this was the, um, the Google testing lab that they had at Google IO. And it's a wall of, uh, God, it's, it's gotta be at least like a, a, a five, seven meter wall, just covered in different phones and tablets with a screen in the middle. And basically to test your, application on on google devices these are all the devices you have to test on to cover everything and there was there's at least 50 devices on the wall there and it was and somebody tweeted this and said well here's google fragmentation in action um yeah and it was was kind of funny yeah 
So, so like they clearly they recognise that, that they are starting to recognise that's becoming a problem for them. Maybe I'll uh, use this as our, uh, um, what do you call it? Our show graphic. Show graphic. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. This is uh, so, um, scary looking, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the a lot of other things again, as I say, they seem to be catch up. They launched a uh, Android in car interface that's similar to kind of what Apple's done with CarPlay. Um, they've got a whole thing. Bu- uh, yeah, a new medical thing that's uh, that's similar to to health health book or health kit, whatever Apple's calling theirs. They've got a new uh, graphics API that's similar to the uh, metal thing that Apple put into uh, iOS 8 that, that was announced last month. There's um, what el- what else is there? There's a good, they've they've well, changed the clean good- UI. I mean, the UI itself. Yeah. Is much more Apple-like, I have to say. Um, yeah. It's it's much cleaner. A lot more white spaces. It's people are using the term flat. I don't know if flat is the right term or not, but for lack simple. of a better term, right now, simple, flat, yes, simple, yeah. And I got to say, I think those are all welcome changes and needed changes that Google needed to do. I personally think, boring keynote or not, the direction that Google seems to be taking their core products is a very smart and a great place to take it. And it's needed. I think in, I, it is representing a radical change in direction. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. They, they are clearly wanting to reassert themselves on this platform. Um, yeah, and, 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 and we also, both agree that that's needed big time. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how, how well this pans out. I think in the past, Google has been guilty of launching stuff with big fanfare and not sticking with it. Well, that was another point I wanted to bring up. Um, as far as I knew, you can now go out and buy Google Glass, and it's getting a lot of press still. Granted, most of it is negative. <laughs> uh, they even had a, a, a thing on The Daily Show on Google Glass. Yeah, well, I Glass saw that. Holes. Was very, that was funny. Very funny, yeah. Uh, but... Where was Google Glass in all this? Is this well, yet another thing that Google brings out, gives a lot of fanfare, and then seems to forget about? I mean, I'm starting to I, get that impression. I suspect that Google recognizes that at the moment Google Glass is almost like a toxic brand. Um, I mean, the 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 stuff it gets is so negative that um, I it wouldn't surprise me if they moved away from it. Uh, over the next year or so. But, I think that's but, a mistake, but you know, you well, have to control that message. You have to Yeah. You know, if you let your competitors or your detractors make the case for you and they're obviously going to make the case against it, then you've already lost. You have well, to that, stay out there. You yeah. whether the fun- it's go ahead. I was going to say I think the fundamental mistake Google's made with Glass is they haven't messaged about it at all. They've just put it out there in the hands of people and then let them message it. And most of these people are idiots. Yeah, well. You know, they, they are they are very geeky early adopters. Uh, and unfortunately, the big message that's come across to people who don't understand what glass is, is that these are people who wear cameras on their faces and insist on wearing them everywhere. And it's just not a good message. And you know, Google even even this week at Google I/O, they announced that they will that they they're doing a video app for uh, Glass, so that it will be able to record video uh, in the same way it can do photos at the moment. And it's, well, there's already <laughs> there's already third party apps that actually allow you to do video. In fact, this, I found yeah. out 
by watching this, uh, you know, I like YouTube and I was watching yeah. this, uh, classic gaming show and, uh, there's a few different ones that I enjoy watching and I've subscribed to a couple of them, but this is a husband and wife team and they go out and they try to find retro gaming stuff and they go to flea markets and stuff like that. And the video quality was really good. And it turns out it was Google glass that they were using to film. And the only reason that it came out that that's what they were using is he took off the glasses and gave them to her to film. She mm. didn't realize that he had left them on when he handed them over. She thought, I think logically, that he turned them off, handed them to her, she could put them on, and then record when she's wearing them. But she was doing it just the opposite. She put them on top of her head when she was recording, and then when she pulled them down to wear them, she was actually turning off the recording, yeah. uh, which kind of speaks to its intuitive nature, I suppose. Um, but they're using a third-party app to capture the video, and the video looked really good. And I was, to be honest, I was kind of surprised that that was Google Glass. I thought, well, wow, so, the quality is pretty good. So Google are now officially supporting this, but to me, it's just a huge mistake. I, I think the next iteration glasses should take the camera out. It's because that's the principal thing that causes most people problems. So if the public is telling you they're not going to accept this technology with a camera in there then take the camera away yeah just link link uh, and you get better results anyway just link the glass to your cell phone camera mm-hmm. yeah and you use it so that way if you want to record something you can record something you can still do it via glass but you just are holding the lens in your hand and then everybody knows what you're doing problem solved yeah and it would probably and, and it would bring the cost of glass down as well because the cost is considering the power in there the cost is ridiculous it's still like 1500 bucks or something yeah they've just launched it here in the uk it's a thousand pounds which is yeah it's just it's well it's crazy money it um is. yeah and and it, and the problem is the people it brings in are people who are <laughs> high, high yeah big big high geeks but also have a lot of money i mean it's a it's a worst case scenario because the um with the best will in the world the, we all know a lot of people who are very well off and like like to show off the latest gadgets they can be kind of a jerk about it sometimes yeah well that's that was the thing about the uh, daily show that people were getting kicked out of restaurants or there was signs up saying google glass not allowed and they thought they had a right i have a right to go in there wearing my google glass no you don't you don't yeah. have the right <laughs> yeah the people with their rights uh no if it's a private establishment and they banned this thing you don't have the right well actually i mean it's worse than that the problem is with this sort of behavior and and creating this sort of negative attitude then there's a real risk that actually some uh civic or or even federal governments will actually legislate against glass before it even hits the market yeah and, and say say you know we're gonna we're gonna put this put this to bed before it starts and and ban it basically on on grounds of privacy speaking of uh google we're gonna stay on this topic yeah. for a minute i was wondering how you were gonna link <laughs> this is a story that i read about uh, i don't know if i sent you the link or you sent me the link I think I sent it to you. Yeah, but I had already read it, to be honest. Yeah. So a year ago, Google was selling a Chromebook, correct? Yeah, I think they still sell it. Yeah. Um, Not many people buy it. No. And one of the perks was, and it was right on the website, you get two years 
of free data, only up to 100 megabytes a month, so it's very paltry, for that computer. And I, you know, I guess that could come in handy if, you know, you're not on Wi-Fi at the moment and uh, you still need to check your email. It'd be good for that. Mm. But that's about it. I mean, you're not going to be streaming any movies. You're not going to be downloading anything. Um, you're not even going to browse the internet for very long before you hit a hundred megabyte data cap. Yeah, but but this is the Chromebook we're talking about, which basically only works if you're connected to the internet. Correct. It doesn't so do anything that, without being connected to the internet. Yeah, and and this this particular one was the insanely priced Chromebook Pixel, which effectively was if the MacBook Air had a baby with a Chromebook, this is what you get. Um, and this is a fifteen hundred dollar, fourteen hundred dollar machine. Yep. So for that sort of money, you kind of expect to get a few corporate freebies thrown in. And one of the corporate freebies was two years data from Verizon. But turns out, David, <laughs> it was Nobody a year. Tell Verizon it was two years. <laughs> no, right. No one told Verizon that this is a two-year deal because Verizon started turning them off after a year. Yeah. And... This actually happened a couple months ago, and and John Gruber said that in his post. Uh, another one did as well. It kind of goes to explaining the popularity of these devices that this started happening two months ago, and nobody knew about it. Well, yeah, yes, and I mean that's kind of a cute comment. I would imagine that quite a lot of people probably didn't notice if they already had Verizon accounts, and all of a sudden they start getting extra charges I, I don't know quite how this works in terms of how you see because apparently what happened is you went to the website and all of a sudden the, the free 100 megabyte tier disappeared yeah so it, it could well be that a lot of people either weren't using them on on verizon as you say it's only 100 megabytes so it it could be that many people were using the devices and just looking that for emergency use and so weren't checking it every month um I, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily jump to the conclusion that nobody bought them, though I suspect there is an element of truth in that. But the point is, is that what amazes me is, first of all, that Verizon didn't know that they were meant to be supporting this for two years. And also, when this happens, that Google didn't notice. And that the response from both notice. companies, well, less well, so Google, but the response from Verizon has just been, no, well, it, it was one year, we don't yeah. care. Yeah, well, that was Verizon's response. Google's initial response was nothing because there is no way to speak to Google. But this is part of the problem. And really what kind of tweaked me about this story is that – and your response initially was the same as mine, which is, well, you've got to remember that, that the end user is not Google's customer. The advertiser is a customer. But the difference is that these are devices that you people pay directly from – you couldn't buy them anywhere else. This people bought them directly from Google. Money right. changed hands. I sent, you know, the guy sent his credit card to Google. He gets a box back in the mail. That is a customer relationship. And for Google to sell something to to people that's very expensive, promise them things, and then just when that goes away, not even contact them. I mean, this is Google, the the people who know everything about everybody on the internet. Right. And they can't get in touch and let them know. Yeah. There's, say, there's no way to this. contact them. And after two months, all of a sudden it hits the internet, and within 36 hours, they've fixed it by basically saying, okay, everybody affected by this can have a $150 Visa card. Yep. Which is, you know, all right, all credit to them for, for, for responding to it, but they only responded to it when they were starting to get beat up in the court of public opinion. Yep. Well, that's kind of a 
a lot of companies do that, unfortunately. But well, more to my point, though, David, Google still doesn't consider. And when I said, you know, who's Google customer, I wasn't being facetious. In Google's mind, no. they don't see someone who spent that much money for Glass, for a Chromebook, uh, even for Google's professional services, uh, the business stuff that you have to pay for. They still don't see them as their customer. That's you know uh, that's fine. I I don't have an issue with that. But if that's your attitude, I do. Don't well, like, well no, I I don't in that if that's your attitude, don't sell people stuff. I'd agree with if you. If that's there. your business model, that's fine. But then don't sell people stuff. Always use a third party. Yeah. You know, get somebody do a deal with Samsung or whoever and say this is the official channel and work hard with that supplier to make sure that official channel. Uh, presents the devices to the end user in the way that you want. So if you want to sell them these things with these extras and that sort of thing, let that supplier, who I would imagine is better geared up for dealing with these sorts of problems than Google themselves clearly are, let them deal with it. When you and that compare... way, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was saying that way, everybody knows where they stand. Yeah. You know, when I you... after on the back of this, I would I whatever. The, the situation is whatever the technology is i would never go out and buy something direct from google now never when, when you look at the difference between amazon and google it's night and day yeah google makes it virtually impossible to contact them if you have a problem whether you're a business or an individual it's virtually impossible to contact google or to talk to someone because of this problem mm. virtually impossible Amazon has a little button on their Kindle Fires that you push and you talk to someone face to face. Well, yeah. you see them, they don't actually see you. And and I think 30 seconds or 20 seconds yeah. is their time to respond. And and even if it's even if it's something to do with the Kindle or the website or something like that, you can you can go to the website. It's very easy to find the contact us forms. They respond very quickly to email. They do online chat. I've had a problem a few times with the stuff that I bought from Amazon. I got the replacement before I even sent in the old one. Yeah. I had a problem they, with a Kindle just recently. They just mm -hmm. sent me a new one. I said, when do I send this other one back? Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. They just sent they, me a new Kindle. And, and, and as well, they will even call you. Yep. If you say, call me, they will say, give us your number, we will call you. And the phone rings immediately. Yeah. And then they say, right, and this, there's no cues, there's no waiting. Um, you don't get you don't get people who barely speak any English. Yeah, they they sort your problem out, and they're empowered to make decisions. They, they and, can compensate you. You know, they, they know how to do it. Yes. And more, yes, Google makes a lot more profit than Amazon. Amazon makes less profit, but they're still profitable. But who do you think has a better customer satisfaction rating? Well, probably Google because their customers are advertisers and they're yeah. having a lot of success. But actual consumers, there's no comparison. Apple, Amazon, these kind of companies know how to treat their customers. They take care of them. But even Apple doesn't come close to Amazon. Yeah, Google needs and, to and grow up. And if they want to be a consumer-focused company at all, they need to grow up. They need to invest some of these billions into a customer support system within yeah. Google and within all the different countries that they operate in and start treating customers correctly because this is going to lead down a very bad path for them. 
they're going to start getting a, a really bad reputation. Well, look at the, look at the stuff they've announced at Google I/O this week. Let's take the car thing for example. Yep. So, if that doesn't work properly, you've just bought a vehicle. You bought a Mercedes or something like that. You spent fifty thousand dollars on a car, and you get your Android phone, and you can't get the uh, the Google Play stuff working properly. So you go back to Mercedes and you say, look, it doesn't work properly. And they turn around to say, oh, yeah, we've kind of raised it with Google and we'll wait to hear back from them. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, that is the situation that you're going to deal with. Now, the problem is, is that if, the, if that stuff is Google branded in the car, then that's a double whammy because the customer's going to be annoyed with Mercedes for, for offering it in the first place when it doesn't work. And they'll be annoyed with Google because they'll see a Google logo. Yep. Yeah, and then you know well, what's going to happen in this, that circumstance? They're going to turn around and say, hmm, maybe I should look at those iPhone things. And we want to say in the past, David, and we'll probably say again in the future, all they need to do is hire you and I. We'll come in and fix this problem. It'll take yeah, us a year. Keeps happening, doesn't it? Over it does. and over again. I don't know. I don't understand why none of these companies have reached out to us. I mean, <laughs> we have the solutions for them. We know what to I do, think David. The problem, yet, uh, what, what's happening is that they, because they see how busy we'd be, because we've got Microsoft, we've got Amazon, now we've got Google to deal with. Each of them is thinking, oh well, the, we won't get any priority because of the dealing with the others. Right, but we haven't um, been. Re- they haven't reached out to us yet, guys. So no. there's still time. Yeah. Come in, be the first. Be the first. We'll we'll set the standard with you guys. No problem at all. We'll get we'll it's get this problem taken care of. Just case of building the model and turn the handle. That's that's what David and I do. We we come in, we see the problem, we lay out the yeah. solutions, we get it up and running, and then we retire to the Bahamas. Because <laughs> we charge a lot. <laughs> David, with that we're gonna wrap up this episode of Tech Fan Podcast. Uh once again, I really enjoyed uh, sitting down with you. I can't believe this is 168 episodes already. It feels like we've been doing it longer, but it still feels like a brand new show to me. And yep. uh, I look forward to, uh, uh, by the way, the reason we released a little early this week is uh, I'm going to a wedding. And it's someone that we've actually had on this podcast. We've had him on the MyMac podcast. And uh, he was on my favorite episode of The Geekiest Show Ever when we did the John Williams music thing. And uh, his name is Rick Stringer. He's getting married this weekend in Traverse City. I, I was uh, honored to get an invite. My wife and I are going up there, sans kids. We've got my parents watching our, our younger kids. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's a long drive. It's like four hours after a few stops. But uh, congratulations to uh, Rick Stringer and his soon-to-be new bride. And uh, it's a love story for the ages that I'll tell you about offline sometime, David. It's, it's really a cool story. So okay, cool. uh, I want to publicly uh, send them a congratulations. Good eye. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Remember, go to techfampodcast.com to leave feedback. We really would love to hear from you guys. If you got a few minutes, go to the iTunes listing and give us a review there. That would help uh, rankings for us. It pushes up higher in the rankings and more people will discover the show. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye. See ya.